the article says by 2025, the state aims to have 26% of households electrified. It's like one in four homes in the state. Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet, WFPR.FM, and in the local FM Franklin area dial at 102.9. Here today for another Making Sense of Climate session with my guide and climate activist, Ted McIntyre. Happy Tuesday, Ted. Steve, it's good to be here. It's, uh, I can't believe we're rapidly coming up on Bastille Day. So in the or maybe I should say the major league all-star game, right? It's like that's a that's a <laughs> like that came way too quick. But or international been, transfer from a soccer perspective. I mean, there's a bunch of things that are going on. <laughs> that's right. So what do you think of Matt Turner heading off to play in the the Premier League? That so Matt Turner We've, is the excellent. Yeah, obviously we'll miss him. Uh-huh. You know, he's he was great for us. We'll miss him, but we've got some young guys and Petrovic in particular, the young guy they brought in from Serbia, has started off rather well. So, yeah, I don't think we'll miss him overall. They've certainly made some good choices, but it's the nature of the beast. I've been following the writers since they came here, and uh, we could have lost Twelman had he not had his concussion and career deviated because of that. We certainly mm-hmm. lost Dempsey or, b- back in the day, and mm-hmm. we're going to lose others. That's right. fine. Right. I mean, that's that's the nature of the beast, and it's good at least to see with Bruce here that while we lost both Tejan and Turner and Buxa, they replaced them right away. Uh-huh. <laughs> that in uh-huh. itself uh-huh. is a feat. Because, you know, it's a credit to the recruiting and the scouting organization that they've got. Um, because you can't just go, oh, well, you can, but you don't know what you're going to get right. unless you've right. really done right. the research. And so far, you know. They're doing good. They're doing okay. Yeah. They had up until the recent game where they lost in New York on right. what shouldn't be a soccer field in Yankee Stadium. I mean, Yankee Stadium is a baseball field. It shouldn't be played soccer. No, sorry. Yeah, people yeah. may catch me on that one. Fine, I'll argue that one any day of the week. <laughs> Fine, I mean, but up they, until up until that game, they had ten games unbeaten. It really? was four wins and six ties, or something like that. So yeah, they've been playing well. That's good. That's good to yeah. I I I have become more and more of a soccer fan. Dear listeners, if you haven't caught on to soccer you should go check it out it's a mm. the beautiful game i think they call the, it right yeah it can be the beautiful game unless it's played on a new york stadium field <laughs> <laughs> and yeah there are turf woes with the revs place at gillette but it's at least sustainable and actually tying back into the other soccer news in terms of recent news the world cup is coming <laughs> And into Boston as well. And Gillette will be the home, although it will be called Boston Stadium during the tournament. It won't be called Gillette. (laughs) But one of the key pieces back to the turf, obviously, when for those who aren't aware, every time FIFA comes, they install temporarily. FIFA being uh, Federation of International Football or whatever. So it's the International Federation the governing body of all of soccer that's, you know, legitimately through um, the the leagues, the World Cup is a FIFA tournament, uh, CONCACAF, which is the 
uh, Canadian, Central America, South America Federation equivalent to you know Euro Europe. <laughs> They've got a couple of federations as well. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so uh, the turf they replaced the turf because it's a FIFA requirement to play on real grass. So they roll in truckloads of real turf, you know, and it's there for a couple of weeks and then they roll it out. But Bruce was in an interview said, well, one of the benefits coming out of that, we will have a permanent grass field. That will be interesting because as we know in New England, it's not easy to grow grass Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. have it sustainable from a March through October time period, even November when the, the season's going that long. Especially with, as we get into some of the climate things, you know, the, the droughts and uh, how, yeah, what do you yeah, do, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah. stay tuned. There's going to be something happening there. <laughs> <laughs> we need a roadmap to address climate change and soccer. And we soccer. have to get all that stuff uh, mm-hmm. lined up, huh? Yeah. But more importantly, to that point, we're starting here because we're watching the roadmap. And just before the end of June, or just at the end of the June, just before everybody broke for the July break, the state Baker's administration updated the major roadmaps and with new targets, refined targets. And there were some significant omissions, issues, substitutions, whatever within those, huh? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's so, yeah. So let's, let's talk climate roadmap, right? That's the, the, predicate on which all of our discussions revolve around, right? It's like Massachusetts is, um, has a roadmap. It's on a path. It's following that roadmap literally and figuratively to figure out what, you know, how we're going to achieve the goals of being, you know, good climate citizens and sustainable. Um, I can't say that I have all of the, I can't say definitely, but my belief is that the roadmap bill that was passed in 2021, right? calls for the executive branch, which in this case would be Bake, the Baker administration, to put out intermediate updates to what the roadmap is, right? Mm-hmm. And that is some, it's, I think it's on like a five-year timeline. They have to have targets to achieve goals that are intermediate. And that is designed to prevent the idea that we're going to wait until 2049 and then decide we're going to achieve the roadmap in 2050, right? Right. We have right. to be making steady progress. Right. We it's know all, government uh, works slowly. So legislation just can't pass and then sit back and say, oh, we'll wait till 2030 and figure out where we are. No, they can't. <laughs> I mean, all this stuff takes years to, uh, what did Obama say about changing the direction of the federal government is like changing the direction of an aircraft carrier, right? Mm. You do it a little bit time and you right, know you gotta right. watch it watch it go so anyway so just at the end of june and of course the dark side of me says they did it they tried to bury it just before the july 4th holiday so they wouldn't encounter too much news static uh but they did put out the updated an updated roadmap for the year tw- years 2025 and 2030 okay i think the best um the best summary that i've is from Earthwile and Miriam Wasser at WBUR. She usually writes, if you, dear listener, if you don't follow, check that out. I mean, she she writes very clearly and explains things in a way that everyone can get to. And what, so she ticked off a bunch of things that are in this new roadmap um, in a repertorial way, right? Without passing judgment. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I would just right. tell you, spoiler alert, I mean, 
the Baker administration, I do not believe, has has not yet appointed Environmental Justice Council that it's supposed to be doing. That's right? one of their delinquent actions. One of the delinquent actions. But anyway, so the 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 roadmap covers a bunch of stuff. One of the things it talks about is that so the, one of the top level goals is to reduce overall carbon dioxide greenhouse gas emissions by 50%. And of course, once you start talking 50%, you have to say, well, what's my baseline? Right? Mm-hmm. Where did I start out? Right. And that is, it is in itself a big question, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because the, the, uh, the, uh, the law, lo- I guess the farther you go back in time, the bigger the reductions you have to make. Sure. Right? Uh, anyway, the state has decided it's going to use the 1990s emission, the 1990 emission level as the one that they want to reduce. They want to use that as the baseline and reduce um, um, carbon emissions by. And what what it's saying is 33 percent emissions reductions by 2025. Which is only a couple of years away. Only a couple of years away. <laughs> and of course, 50%, the bill and the target calls that 50% greenhouse gas emissions, net total, ultimate, everything from the state is going to be 50% reduced by 2030 compared to what levels there were in 1990. It's only right. seven years away or eight, depending upon how you're counting. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. And so, so the, uh, but what it does is what's new here is that the state has said we will reduce emissions to, by 33% in the year 2025, right? And as you say, quite rightly, according to my calendar, it's 2022. So how are you going to, please tell me more, right? Don't stop, right? Don't stop there. Please tell me more. Um, And I think in terms of perspective, two things. One, quickly for the listeners, you don't have to take notes while we're doing this. There's a link in the show notes that'll have all the links that we reference. So you'll be able to do that. But two, I think referring back to one of our earlier sessions, and we can include that link specifically, we had talked about, I think it was the 1990 piece, and how during COVID, specifically during the pandemic and the shutdown, we were able to achieve almost, I think it was 20, 23% at that time, (laughs) primarily because things were shut down and transportation in particular, which has come up as well in a number of fronts <laughs> as being a key contributor. Duh, while we're shut down, nobody's transporting. Cars on the road, buses aren't on the roads, tra- tra- traffic is less, never mind the supply issues, et cetera. Um, so how close were we and how much do we really have to get to? <laughs> that that That's part of this story. Yeah, and there was, there was, uh, I think Wasserman had a reference that something like uh, – we were down by something like 31% over 2019 into 2020. Mm-hmm. But that was be- you know because of COVID. But to your point, I think that you say things like you're going to have this big emissions reduction by 2025. You look at what happened in COVID and you say, oh, yeah, it is possible. It's pretty clear that if we change behavior, we can change mm-hmm. um, the emissions output. Now, Shutting down COVID so nobody commuted was, you know, had significant impacts across the world. But I mean, the, I, I still maintain if you mandated a four-day work week, right? People only went into the office four instead of five days. That's, that's a twenty percent. That's a start, right? And it's all right. behavioral. It's not sure. like we need electric vehicles, right? It's just like don't drive so much. Right. And we, the society, responded in terms of COVID. 
And so if we recognize the emergency as the same scale, you could do similar things that maybe would be less impactful economy-wise, right? Mm-hmm. You can sort of cherry pick what you do. Anyway, um, um, so the the bill, all, so it's 33% overall target, but then that breaks out into transportation, electricity generation, and buildings. Okay, mm-hmm. so there are three big chunks there that you start thinking about greenhouse gas emissions. So they they are talking about um, reducing transportation related greenhouse gas emissions, right? And there they've talked about plans to go, according to the article I saw, is that going to reduce transportation related emissions by eighteen percent compared to nineteen ninety by the year 2025. Mm-hmm. So that's a near-term thing, 18%. And then 34% reduction in emissions by 2030, again, based on compared mm-hmm. to... Uh, no, I don't know how that 34% of the emissions reductions is going to be, for transportation, is going to have to ma- be made up somewhere else. Right? Some other sector is going to have to be more than... 50% right. in order to accommodate blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because um, a couple of pieces, just minor points. And obviously, as we started talking this, and we could spend hours going into oh the details. Right. Yeah, <laughs> We're just yeah. going to try and cover, kind of skim across the surface. But to your point, in terms of how are we going to do that, given the timeline and its aggression, aggressive approach, we know MBTA, for example, it does not have a plan to transport or trans- change its buses, change its commuter rail within those timelines. So where else is that going to come? Okay, granted, the Senate is doing something around cars and electric vehicle enforcements and stuff, but there's the related piece of just the car rubber <laughs> on the road <laughs> that generates its own <laughs> pollution and greenhouse oh, yeah. gases as well. So it's a mixed bag and it really begs the question just overall, how are we going to get there? <laughs> exactly. And, and, and the, uh, the uh, Washman says, uh, quarters, reversing the trend of, of uh, you know, overall, we have to reduce overall miles driven Reduced vehicle miles traveled, which is is an acronym, VMT, mm-hmm. vehicle miles traveled. You'll see it as you go into this. You have to, re- I mean, people have to commute less. And how mm-hmm. do you do that? Well, you have jobs closer to where people live. You have electric bicycles. You have better trans uh, mass transit. And to your point, the MBTA is way behind the curve in terms of electrifying, or even it would appear getting people to ride the MBTA, right? So there's all kinds of questions there. there. Yeah. And these are all tied up in the, in the roadmap. The other thing that is important for, uh, for achieving the goals is in addition to transportation, there's greenhouse gas emissions from buildings. Right. So here they've sent a, a target that they're going to reduce by 30% from buildings by the year 2025, mm-hmm. okay, and 47% by 2030. So there's pretty clear time. I mean, it, reducing reducing emissions from buildings by 30% by 2025 is itself incredibly aggressive. We keep coming back to the idea that all, when we talk about buildings, we're you know, there's public schools, there's all the buildings in downtown Boston, but then there's the house you live in, you mm-hmm. personally live in, right? Residence, somehow right. Residents across the residences across the state, of course, which ex- 
span a huge range, right? From yep. people that have already converted to people that can't afford to convert. How are you going to do that? So there's a bunch of mechanisms in the roadmap allegedly to try and um, and reduce that. And the way the the way the state is thinking about it is twofold. One is a retrofit of homes to be more energy efficient, right? And this is, I think, the Baker administration. They prefer to um, um, make everything, uh, make homes more energy efficient by insulating them, but you keep burning natural gas in the basement, right? But you you burn a little bit less natural gas. Mm. Um, so there's one side is let's use the mass save program, which we've talked about in the past to help people do better insulation, improve that program. And then the flip side is to aggressively try and get people to use heat pumps, right? <laughs> which we've talked about. I mean, it's, it's, uh, uh, again, dear listener, if you haven't heard heat pump before, you've heard it here first, uh, you heard it here first, but it won't be the last time you hear it about it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, and that that's an ongoing. So, by the article says by 2025, the state aims to have 26 percent of households electrified. It's like one in four homes in the state having heat pumps and being electrified. That is pretty remarkable. And, and to say you're going to do that between 20, July of 2022 and let's be kind to say December of 2025, right? right. So, right. You know, that's, that's, a, that's, and the, so what they want is widespread in quotation mark deployment of these heat pumps, which are, um, again, if you don't know what a heat pump is, it's a, it's a basically a refrigerator that can run both ways. It can heat up what's inside the refrigerator or it can cool mm-hmm. off what's inside the refrigerator. Right. right. Uh, and there you go. So there's all kinds of stuff around that. And then the third big chunk of, this 2025-2030 roadmap is to talk about the generation of electricity in and of itself. Right. right? So where, what where, what's the, how do we generate or what is the source? Right. And of course, there's these funny interactions that as you have more heat pumps, you need more electricity. Right. right? And that has to be generated uh, in a clean way. And so the new plan says we're going to reduce greenhouse gas emissions from electricity by 53% by the year 2025, right? Which is good. I mean, that's a little bit ahead of the curve, 70% by the year 2030. So I guess that's where the the extra reductions are made over the 50% target compared, whereas you say, well, the transportation isn't going to quite make 50%, but we're going to do it. We're going to make it up over mm-hmm. here in, uh, uh, in the electricity generation. That's where m- much of the bill that's in front of the uh, state and the Massachusetts legislature is focused on hoping to get wind turbines installed off Massachusetts shore, mm-hmm. calling for the utilities, mandating the utilities to build wind turbines. We have the example of Vineyard Wind, which is sort of the leading example in the state. Right. But it's interesting that the the report, the twenty, this current roadmap starts to make more of an explicit point about how it's not enough just to have wind turbines spinning off Martha's Vineyard. You have to bring that power onshore sure. and route it to the place where you're going to use it via the grid. Is right that it, that that can turn into a bloodbath, right? Yeah. Because nobody wants the power line in their backyard. Not in right. my backyard is a classic thing, and so the state needs to begin to think about how it's going to get all this electricity from offshore wind onto the grid. Mm-hmm. And I, I, 
Yeah, and that's where one of the other themes we've had, and I think these last two points kind of touch on and then open us into the disconnects, even within the administration. So on the housing side, there's also a net zero stretch code, which the stretch code was being revised based upon input and stuff so that instead of authorizing or requiring all new buildings to be electrically based, it also, and retrofits, it also threw that or in there that allows fossil fuels to be continued. So wait a sec. And then we, we, we've talked and spent some time about the ISO New England and the decision for themselves to postpone introducing uh, a, a wind power because it's too cheap and it doesn't fit with their calculation so that they can continue to use the fossil fuels, which is what they're based on. So yeah, the goals are nice. They sound achievable. And to your point, to our conversation, if we can shut down during the pandemic, granted, that's just an example. We've got other things we need to do with that as well. It is possible. But these other actions need to be taken in conjunction in order for us to go forward and make some change. You're, you're right. I mean, that's sort of what makes it interesting is, is this like turbulent all kinds of things going on that interact uh and um and you need to kind of be aware of them all and uh, you're right it, it's like the the i want to talk about the doer net zero stretch code because that's a particularly galling little thing but the last thing in the roadmap a couple other issues in the so this roadmap document we'll put a link in right this yeah. is the massachusetts uh, department of Energy and Environmental Affairs right, has this roadmap, top level roadmap. Where's the state going? The other thing that thing about the other thing that they're going to do is tighten up some of the regulations around um, what are called super greenhouse gases. Right? I don't know how much we've talked about this, but just to remind people, <clears throat> uh, the in your current refrigerator there are gases. The, in the refrigerant gas that's being used in your refrigerator, we don't have to go into the chemistry of it, right. is an incredibly powerful. On, I know there was a change or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. HFCs, hydrofluorocarbons Carbons, or something, right? Yeah. But in the thing about those, they're tiny amounts compared to carbon dioxide, but they have huge impact. Right. right, they're much more of a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide is. What's sort of protecting us is that there's so little of it that gets leaked. But the uh, um, we still need to worry about that. They also talk about so this is another pet peeve <laughs> when we talk about these super greenhouse gases. The other super greenhouse gas is methane, right? Which is much more potent than and than carbon dioxide. You and I, Steve, or Lee, mm-hmm. we have gone on endlessly nattering on about methane leaks and what these guys are trying to do to us. The roadmap says we're going to explore additional ways to reduce methane leaks, right? When at the same time, the DPU is trying to push methane and hydrogen into the future, and there's the leaks and the gas pipes, all this stuff. So to your point, the roadmap is this nice aspirational thing and all nice words, but say, okay, show me the money, right? As yeah. Jerry Maguire said, show me, show me what, do it. Don't just talk nice about it. Right? Right. So, right. But there is a roadmap. It's out there. If you get a chance to read it, put the links up. Certainly mm-hmm. you can read the uh, WBR, WBR article that it's kind of is an explainer that mm-hmm. gets you going in the right direction. 
and it'll be a bunch of other links in there. There's at least a couple of Boston Globe articles referenced in this. The Commonwealth Magazine had some essays and articles on it as well. So yeah, there's a host of links in there. And I think the key piece overall is while we may bemoan the legislation and legislature on the one hand, they are at least taking some action. We've talked earlier that the Senate had taken action to do their, what was it, drive forward bill. The House had a separate bill fostering the wind. It's now in conference committee. Whether that conference committee actually comes out with something before the end of the session, July 31st, remains to be seen, or whether that kind of kicks down the road like everything else seems to have been until the session resumes in the fall. Obviously, these are impacts that we're going to pay for at some point in time. And it's kind of like, pay me now, pay me later. It's where, where is it? I, 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 so let's, let's go there for a minute, right? There is, as you said, there are bills floating around the Massachusetts legislature, right? We're now deep into the summer. It's my belief, Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, is that the legislation legislative session ends at the end of July. Correct. So if these guys don't pass some pass these bills, if they which would be horrific, then it's a dead letter. You start all over again in January of 2023. And now you have another two year cycle mm-hmm. where these guys are in like 2023 into 2024. That's essentially 2025. Right. So it would be mind-numbingly frustrating if the legislature fails to pass these bills in the next two weeks, which is why there have been um, increasingly urgent calls that something has to, that that these bills have to be brought out. Mm -hmm. And uh, we don't have time to go through all the stuff, but our list of shows talks about, you know, the section 65, which would allow um, building codes for test towns that want to not use natural gas, right? There's efforts to rein in the DPU in this, the possible use of hydrogen. There's the whole question of how many electric vehicles we're going to have. And is that fair to the people who can't afford an electric vehicle, mm, right? Yeah. This, but the, it, it, to just walk away from that, it would not be a good thing. And that's why there are calls to demand that the legislature produce something over the next 10 days. So if you're looking for an a-, a climate action, dear listener, call up your favorite state legislator and say, make, please make sure that a good bill is produced. Mm-hmm. Is that fair, Steve? <clears throat> I think that's fair. Absolutely. Because clearly from this, I mean, I'm doing this personally because I needed to make sense of what's going on. And it's frustrating as heck because it is to our conversation is just reinforcing this sounds good, but then this is over here. It's like left hand, right hand are not talking to each other. We're at different ends and we need to get together to do so. And there are some people that are trying to do so. And it is admittedly a tough decision. There are so many stakeholders in there. The power clearly in many cases is on the fossil fuel side. They've got the money to throw at the legislatures more so than you and I individually could to have some influence, and yet our voices need to be heard. And there's why the action and the calling and the writing and the standouts, that's what we need to do to at least have the conversation and get some action sooner than later. Bill McKibben has a, so Bill McKibben, 
if you don't know who he is, he is like a like a prophet of the climate movement, right? He's been mm-hmm. around since night very but I mean he says Ambassador, that Andrew Evangelist, whatever. He he fits into that category yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that he that that your body is the currency that you have. All right. The, the powers that be, the fossil fuel industry has dollars. You have your body. Right. And so standing on a street corner or doing things like that is what you can do. Is, and that is pretty powerful uh, because you're, mm-hmm. you're a voter. But can I, can I, since you're in a frustrated mode, maybe we ought to be happy. Um, <laughs> let me talk a little bit about the, the net zero stretch code. And the Department of Environmental Resource, Energy Resources. So we've talked about this again. This p- yeah. part of this is the continuing return to the topics that we make incremental progress on. Right. But last earlier in the spring, okay, just to quickly rewind the 2021 Climate Roadmap Bill, right? That was passed a year ago this time. No more than that. But but the the bill said that. The DOER, the Division of Envir- of Energy Resources, Department of Energy Resources, would promulgate a building code, right, that is net zero in quotation marks, and that the DOER would define net zero as a building code. So just, again, now we've said a whole bunch of words that don't make sense, but mm-hmm. you're talking about a building code, which is how you make new buildings, which then feeds back into this whole question of how are we going to reduce carbon, uh, global greenhouse gas emissions from the building sector. Right, so DOER got the responsibility to build, to make a building code. The standard definition of net zero, which has been bandied about by think tanks and all of the people mm-hmm. working on it, basically call for net zero buildings to have no natural gas um, infrastructure, no gas heater in the basement, no gas stove, no gas hot water heater. That's what net zero means, right? And that was, um, and so that was the expectation that there would be a building code that allowed a community, if it wanted to, if the community chose to, to adopt a building code that said there will be no more gas used in new buildings. Fine, fine. DOER takes it, and then the machinations begin underneath the surface, right? The the, the forces that you and I can't see mm. come into play. And what they what finally Last spring, DOER comes out with what they call the straw man building code. Right again, right. this is the draft. They put this thing up for discussion, but what they did was they took a definition of net zero that is different from what the community had discussed as being net zero. And in particular, I'll read you the quote. So this is a quote from the report from the department from the uh, DOER. Right, it says, therefore. The specialized code, right, this is the thing we're talking about. The specialized code adopts a definition of net zero buildings as follows. So a net zero building is a building which is consistent with the achievement of the Massachusetts 2050 net zero emissions, right? Consistent with the mm-hmm. everything goal. else that's in the roadmap. Right. But that doesn't mean you can't have gas. It's just consistent. And the way they square that circle is by saying uh, consistent with the achievement of the 2050 net zero emissions through a combination of highly efficient design, that is to say, lots of insulation, highly efficient design, together with being an all-electric, 
or zero energy building, fine, fine, or, so there's all these conditionals, or where fossil fuels are utilized, a building that is fully pre-wired for future electrification, which is like this get out of jail card, right? They say, okay, you can do whatever the heck you want as long as you're like mm -hmm. ready in 2045 to take all that good, cool green electricity off the grid and yeah, no. So you can put an oil burner and or a gas heater in as long as you've pre-wired it to go electric and or heat pump and or right. geothermal and or something time. else. As long as you do that, then you're okay, which, yeah. you know, gets back to our, oh, wait a sec. <laughs> I mean, it's it's all predicated on the idea that to be net zero means the entire Massachusetts grid will be net zero, providing green electricity. And then whatever you do in your house, right, you can, which, so what that allows is uh, for essentially a continuation of installing new gas heaters in homes, which then have a 20 year lifetime, right, which are going to be around or a 30 year lifetime, which are going to be there in 2052, it's going to mm -hmm. cost money to take it out. I mean, it just from the from a climate perspective, it just doesn't make any sense. But from the short term, you know, I need to, from the short term perspective of the fossil fuel industry, they don't care about 2050. They care about the next quarterly profit report. And that's all. And they're willing to sacrifice the 2050. Oh, but they want to give us green natural gas oh, by God. adding hydrogen to it as well. We're not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's a whole other thing which the legislature needs to deal with. But so, but the, so anyway, I'm just saying the following thing that the, this specialized code has been released by the DOER, and the DOER is now accepting public comments okay, on the code. And so you can tell the DOER that you don't like this. Mm -hmm. We went through this exercise last, last spring, and they- For the draft. For the draft. Were, and they right? made some revisions to it, but still some, not they to the point where we need to. <laughs> exactly. But there are now, there are additional opportunities so it turns out that there are two things going to happen. The DOER itself will have hearings to accept input. And it's actually remarkably easy. What they did last time in the spring was you joined a Zoom call. Right. And you would have three minutes to speak. If you didn't mm -hmm. want to write a letter, you could speak for three minutes. Right. And then you'd made your testimony. And so, sure. there, were pe and so there were three opportunities to do that. But get these times. July 22nd from 9.30 in the morning to 11.30 at the Division of Fisheries and Wildlife in Westboro, right? So you can either, it'll be a Zoom thing, but you can go visit. There's one on July 22nd, there's one on August 2nd in Quincy, and then there's an online one on August 8th. So if you're interested and you want to like take some satisfaction in speaking your mind, those are three opportunities for the DOER. At the same time, um, the Massachusetts Climate Action Network will help you figure out what to say. Right? So the MCAN, Massachusetts Climate Action Network, is the organization I'm involved with. We will be having webinars on July 20th, July 25th, and on August 8th to help you figure out how to write a letter right? so that you can either testify or write a letter. You know, Many people are 
they shouldn't be, but are intimidated by, you know, speaking on Zoom. But I mean, you can write a letter. MCAN will figure out how to do that, where to send it, what the best talking points are so you understand better. So I highly urge people to sign up for those webinars to learn more about this DOER issue and to try to push back on what seems like a wrong-headed policy. I mean, uh-huh. What can I say? I'll say that as, as kindly as I can. It's wrong-headed. <laughs> Left-handed, right-handed, uh, taking two steps backwards and one step forward. I mean, yeah, it, it's yeah. not getting us to the aggressive report targets that have been out there, at least in our mind. And if somebody wants to tell us how we can do that in that way, we're open to that. We'll listen. Yeah. But at this point, we don't see that coming together. It just doesn't add up for us. So, yeah, yeah. then to your point, uh, using Bill McKibben's piece, we can use our body, our time, our effort, whether verbally or textually to submit and say, hey, you know, let's get ideally, you know, 3,000 half the voters <laughs> to say this is no good. Right. 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 Then they may, in fact, do something as opposed to if there's only 200, oh, it's the, the usual suspects that kind of just shuff us off. Yes. And I, I would just say that in is one last thought that. People should not view writing a letter to the DOER as a chore or a thing that makes you unhappy. It is incredibly satisfying if you believe (laughs) that something should happen to make that statement, right? And you feel better. So it is a way, it's like a a good thing to do. It'll Mm -hmm. make you a happier person, (laughs) right? And uh, on, on top of that, you've done a good thing for the world. So, right. Well, and, and take that approach. And in my way, that's one of the things why I, I like to talk. You like to talk. We're talking together, trying to make sense of climate. So this is one step. And then hopefully people will listen and then share the links and join and take action, continue the conversation. And ultimately, we'll get there, hopefully sooner than later, because as we've also been seeing in the headlines, it's not great out there. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, the, 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 the. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, the, the topic so so broad and so interesting, but the whole question of rivers, you know, fires out in California, like the Yosemite is is burning and going to burn mm-hmm. down the Maricopa Sequoia Grove. Right. Oh my God! So there's all Texas bad stuff. Texas has a going problem on. with the excess heat, and their grid may fail. You've got Lake Mead drying up. So there's a water supply for a good portion of the nation. The Po River in Italy. So, yeah, around the world, they're all having problems. So even the Po River in Italy is also drying up because the snow in the Alps has not been appearing and it's not slowed down through. So it's that entire ecosystem. It's it's challenging. It really is challenging. So I think that the the hopeful good positive thing is that even in the face of of the sort of tumult that we see right, mm-hmm. on climate i mean so much else but on climate right taking action grounds you and gives you a feeling of of uh, participation and then you're not entirely a spectator that you have agency in this big thing and mm-hmm. maybe a small bit of agency but you have agency so exercise it and you'll feel better right right and uh even one small step right <laughs> makes a difference so yeah 
I think that's probably a good place to close because I know there's some of the other topics we have that even get more dire than what we've already discussed. So let's let's close on a happy part (laughs) and say, yes, you can take action. You can do it. And then feel good about having taken action. And then, oh, by the way, tell somebody so that they can take action. And now you've got twice the action, twice the satisfaction. And then let that multiply. That also brings back, what was it? Um, Oh, Arlo Guthrie, which generally kind of a Thanksgiving song, you know, uh, but it, when he walked into, and this obviously is aging us to a certain extent. So yes, I understand, <laughs> but there was a draft at some point in time back in the Vietnam days. And if you walked into the draft dodger and said something, then it just, it just started a movement. Yeah. Yeah. This today should be the movement. Do something for climate, take action. And for the listeners, as usual, we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.